My name is Gaspar Galata. I work for SSI Schaefer, and I lead our software sales group here in North America. I'm going to be talking to you guys today about labor management systems. We're going to take a look at some of the problems we're seeing in the labor market today. Uh, we're going to get into some of the key fundamentals of, of a labor management system. Uh, and then finally, we're going to look at the future of LM and, and where some potential innovation uh, may be coming through in the next couple of years. So there's two main problems uh, from my perspective is that, you know, we have an unpredictable and a competitive labor market. Warehouses are seeing some of the highest turnover uh, across any industry. Uh, we see with some of our customers a 20 to 30 percent call-out rate on a daily basis. Uh, it makes it really difficult when you're trying to staff and, and plan your resources uh, appropriately when you deal with, with these type of call-out rates. Things like the Super Bowl, holidays, this is going to just create an additional spike that as operations managers you have to sort of uh, play around. It's also competitive. Um, we can see on this chart, uh, as of December 2019, there was a 3.5% unemployment rate within the United States. I've circled some, some major hotbeds for where we see distribution centers and fulfillment centers commonly located. Uh, because of this clustering, it, it makes it really difficult uh, to find and, and retain uh, high-quality talent. Um, while all this is happening, we're seeing that customer expectations for when they get their orders and how accurate their orders are, this is ever-increasing, uh, and, and we, we don't see that stopping uh, anytime soon. So when we think about what we can do about it, there's some potential solutions. One is automation. Uh, I mean, I work for one of the, the largest automation providers in the world, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to come up uh, and say that, that you don't need automation. It, it's absolutely a good solution. Uh, what we do find, though, is there's a little bit higher cost to entry. Uh, you're looking at normally a three to five year ROI, and, and for some, they're looking for uh, something a little bit quicker, something a little bit cheaper as far as a barrier goes. So uh, it, it may not be an option for everyone. Uh, or maybe you've already invested in automation and you're looking how you can potentially get uh, some additional throughput out of your warehouse. Potentially, you're, you're in a very high cost to operate area. Um, another option is potentially moving, finding another location uh, in a lower cost of operating uh, location. Uh, I, I think that in a lot of cases, it probably doesn't make sense and uh, not really an option for, for most people as well. Uh, so, so what I'm going to talk about the majority of today is, is a labor management solution. So really looking uh, at software as, as a way to get additional throughput within your building. I, I think what makes software such an attractive solution uh, is that you can get, you can get a, a labor management system in within a couple uh, months. Your ROI is, is extremely quick uh, due to that low upfront cost. Uh, and with a lot of our customers um, and, and clients, it's not uncommon to see a 20% productivity increase, and, and that coupled with the, the, sh the small, relatively small investment uh, makes this really effective. So one kind of interesting subject, I think, is when is the best time to implement uh, an LMS? So we really have, we have two scenarios. Uh, you have an existing building, uh, and you have a brand new building, and, and it's a little bit different approaches, I think, with each one. Uh, in the case of an existing building, uh, you have very well-defined processes, ideally. Uh, you have a WMS system that's recording uh, a high level of detailed data. Uh, the, the labor management system is, is not going to be effective without a high level uh, of data to make decisions based on. 
with a new building, on the other hand, a lot of clients that I talk to or potential clients, they, they say uh, that they want to go live with labor standards day one. Um, and while this is a really, it's an attractive thought uh, to go live, you, you, you have your automation going in, you have your warehouse management going in, and you have your LMS uh, going in and going live on, on day one. The problem is, uh, is that likely you're hiring uh, a new staff. So you have uh, untrained workers that need to get familiar with the system uh, before you start applying standards to it. Uh, and, and then the workflow is, is subject to change. You're breaking in uh, a brand new warehouse management system maybe. Uh, you have some new processes or flows. Uh, so all of this is going to take time. So th the recommendation is normally that uh, in a greenfield location, you're giving uh, some time to stabilize the system uh, before implementing something like this. I like to divide the labor management system up into three main parts. Uh, this is a progressive, uh, progressive modules, the way I see it, and I'll kind of explain what I mean by that. Um, the first component is performance measurement. So we're really looking at, at a user's performance, uh, an associate's performance, how well they're doing. Uh, we see anywhere from a 5 to 15% boost just through this. This is, this is simply the, the psychology of, of having your score shown on your screen, uh, the live updates, and, and the visibility to potentially some weaknesses in your process. This in itself is, is going to gain normally 5 to 15%. Uh, resource planning, which is you know, where, do we, where are we going to put our people? Um, how does our staffing look like? Uh, which areas are they going to be working in? I like, I like to build this on top of performance measurement, and that's because we're able to utilize the data that we have from performance measurement uh, to make those decisions on, on where people are. So naturally, you'll have some people better at, at picking uh, than packing, perhaps. So we want to make sure that we're selecting the right people uh, and not just anyone. And so finally, the, the third one is incentive payments. We add this on, and it's essentially the cherry on top. You're able to get uh, a lot of motivation and associate buy-in uh, when you put incentive payments or pay per for, for performance uh, into the system. So when we look at this all together, we're looking at anywhere from a, a 20 to 40 percent uh, increase, and this is what is typical with, with a lot of the uh, retailers that, that I've worked with and, and spoken with, uh, is that they, they lie somewhere in this range depending on, on the level of their processes and, and how much work it needs, essentially. So we're going to be doing a, a deep dive on, on the three of these. Uh, and taking a look at, at sort of, you know, how do we get to that 20, 40%? I mean, I, I think any operations manager would find that really attractive. It's just whether or not uh, it's something that we can get and extract in reality. So with performance measurement, we're really we're looking at two scores. Uh, the first score is utilization. And utilization is we're really trying to understand how much time are our people spending on task. Uh, so we divide this up between direct time and indirect time. Uh, where direct time is, is actually time spent getting units out the door. And indirect time is basically anything else. It's, it's meetings, it's cleaning your workstation. Potentially, it's even waiting on, on your automation or your system to provide you with work. All of this uh, is tracked against each other. And, and we look at the amount of time on task over their total time in the system uh, to find a utilization score. The second is, is performance. Uh, this is with the time that a user is spending on task, how much of that time or, or how well is the user actually doing? Um, yeah, I, I think that performance score gets sort of a bad rap sometimes as being a, like a big brother. 
Um, but in reality, I think what, what this type of score gives us the ability to do is, um, is coach our people and train our people. And, and it can even show where a process may be unnecessarily slow. There may be uh, certain sections that, that become visible from the labor management system uh, where a process may just be broken and needs to be adjusted. When we're setting goals for, for utilization and performance measurement, one thing to keep in mind, with, with utilization, 100% should not be the benchmark. It should not be the goal. Um, it's really impossible that, that you have someone um, really working 100% on task. We, we do want to maximize this. Uh, we, we Normally, the benchmark that we want to set is around 85%. Uh, I think that if you're in the 50 to 60 area, then you're a really good candidate uh, to see significant uh, savings with, with this type of system. The second is, is user performance, and here we, we do want to achieve 100%. Um, improvement here is, is really on the user. We, we want our people to uh, see very clearly what their score is and, and what they need to do to improve. Uh, essentially, 100% should be meeting expectations, and it should be an attainable score. Anything above this becomes gravy, and, and that's sort of the, the zone for incentive payments. So we ask ourselves, how do we get to this performance score? Um, there's, there's two main ways that I see this done. Uh, one is through static standards and engineered standards. With static standards, we're, we're really analyzing um, a single process. Uh, how many picks did a user make? Uh, how many packs did a user make? How many movements uh, did he make with the forklift? And so if the goal is to make 60 picks per hour, uh, and the user makes 70, then, then they're performing above, above standard, that's great. Uh, if they're making 50 picks per hour, then they're below standard, uh, and, and it's not great. Uh, the problem with this is we're not really looking at, at any exceptions. We're not taking into account any variability in the process. Uh, ultimately, it, it becomes a very weak way uh, to track user performance. So normally what we're recommending is engineered standards, where we're taking a process and we're breaking it down into every single individual step that's being done, uh, and we're recording that data. Uh, we, we call them events or trigger points, but, but essentially every systemic interaction that a user makes, uh, this data is going to be fed back up into the system and, and used for, for analysis later on. So here we, we, are, we are taking into account exceptions. We're also looking at uh, variability within uh, the actions that they're taking. So now weight matters, the volume of the product matters, the distance that a user had to travel to get there matters. Uh, and, and all of this is tracked against another standard. So the first thing we do is we take our process, a picking process, for example. Uh, we break it down into every individual step. Um, and if it's something that we can, can pass up to the uh, labor management system, then it's, it's something we record as a potential event. Uh, with those events in place, we look at what the adders are. Um, this is our, our variability, our process variability. This can be, it, it can be the, the volume of the product, it can be the distance. Uh, in the next slide, I'm actually going to kind of do a deeper dive on what some of those adders may look like. Uh, but it allows our single event to become much more nuanced, uh, and the standards will follow with that. Finally, uh, time studying. So this is a, a classic industrial engineering exercise. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to perform the time standard, uh, the time study process. Uh, I know that the, the most common is a, an industrial engineer with a stopwatch recording uh, every motion that someone's doing. 
Uh, but systems that are more advanced now are able to, to look at the past data, look at uh, associate scores, and, and make standards based off that. And finally, with all this in place, you're looking to continually improve your system. Um, it's very likely that, that when you implement engineered standards, you're going to get insights uh, into weaknesses in your process that need to be fixed. Um, so, so we're looking to continually improve the system. There's a maintenance level that's required then uh, to make sure that your standards continue to be adjusted where necessary. So a few adders here up on the screen. Uh, on the top left, we have uh, bend and reach. So obviously, me, me being not very tall, uh, I would wish that I get some extra time if I have to reach very high to put a box away. Uh, the same goes with, with bending down. So we're able to look at the actual storage locations within the warehouse, uh, and based off what the user is interacting with, we set a different standard. So during the time study process, it becomes very clear if, if it takes uh, more time to, to reach up rather than the golden zone in front of them. Similarly with, with fragile time, so is the user working with, um, with product that's fragile? And if they are working with, with a certain type of product, is it actually having any effect on the, them making picks? I mean, it could be that they just ignore it uh, and, and it doesn't need to be factored into the time study at all. Finally, we have position. So this is a lot like an assembly line. Um, if you imagine everyone's doing the same job in an assembly line, the person in the very front may have more opportunity uh, to perform work than, than the guy at the end. Uh, and so if you're at the end, you need to take into account your ability to actually have work in front of you uh, and process that. When we look at travel, and I, I realize there's, there's a lot going on in this slide in particular. It would be a, a good one to take a picture of, actually. But when we look at travel calculations, uh, the first thing that we do is we're creating a uh, full warehouse model in, in the system. So we understand anywhere for any point A and B that you select within your, your four walls of the warehouse, uh, the system is able to calculate what the optimal distance would be. Um, and, and you're able to, to draw out and graph uh, how these routes look. So if, if there's a, uh, a pole in front of a certain area that a forklift can't pass through, uh, this can all be drawn into the system. In, in this image, we're really looking at a forklift making uh, two, two deposits of a box. Um, uh, you see a bunch of arrows, though. So what's going on is, is we're tracking the distance uh, that a forklift is moving in an in a X direction. We're also tracking the distance of the arms going up. So depending on, on how far, um, on what level the forklift is dropping off the package, then, then this matters as well. But we also care about whether or not the forklift is unloaded. Uh, or loaded. Uh, the velocity of, of these vehicles can be tracked and uh, it could be that there's differences based off uh, how much weight is on the forklift. So all these are, are different nuances that are being taken into account uh, when we're looking at, at how much time a, a user should get. Now if we zoom back out again, uh, when we're talking about static and engineered standards, so to recap, sort of our static standards are, are very simple. They're easy to implement. In fact, you, you probably don't even need a labor management system uh, to utilize that. Um, whereas engineered is, is tightly coupled with uh, a source of data, and it's, it's looking to make very detailed reports um, based on this data. And it's designed for fairness, because that's a, a very important part of getting your associate buy-in, is that uh, your standards are justifiable and, and achievable. Um, so while you may have a performance score given from, from static variables, 
the problem is that if you're not able to make an action uh, or, or, or make a decision based off the reporting, then the reporting is not really providing very much value to you. Um, if we take a look at an example here, imagine a, a picker has gone and, and made five picks. Um, we have two different systems that are tracking it. One is, is static, just counting the number of picks. Uh, the other system is an engineered standard solution where uh, obviously you see a lot more going on, right? They're logging in, they're traveling, they're making picks, we're accounting for exceptions. Um, so, so imagine this, this scenario and uh, the, the rate for, for static picker we expect is one pick per minute. Um, so if the user makes five picks as shown, we would expect uh, at full performance that it's going to take them five minutes. However, in this example, uh, the user has taken seven minutes. So we plug this into our, our basic calculation and we see that uh, five over seven, the, the user is working at essentially 71% here. For engineered standards, like I said, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and if we actually do a, a deeper dive on, on what the engineered standards would be, um, we can see our individual events. The user logs in. We expect it takes them 10 seconds. They actually took them 10 seconds. Um, so that's 100% performance there. Uh, when we look at the pick, we have a goal time, but we also are looking at the weight, the volume, uh, the shelf location that they're working with. We're tracking uh, how much distance, how, how much time should they receive for the distance they've traveled. And when we look on the right, we actually see that the performance scores aren't, aren't that bad. Uh, in fact, the user here is performing at 92%, whereas in the exact same example with static standards, they're working at 71%. Now, the, the coaching that you may give to an associate who's um, working in static standards and, and has a 71% may just be, hey, you, gotta, you have to pick faster. I mean, this, this is really the only thing that you can give. Um, but even though engineered performance is, is giving a more accurate uh, and higher performance score, we actually can do even more here. So if we actually look at the two weakest performances that he's made, um, a labor management system is going to highlight some of the, the reasons why that may be. Uh, so we see with picks two and four, the user traveled much further than they did uh, in the rest of the picks. And these just happen to be the two events that, that he's performing the worst on. Um, so in this case, if, if you're an operations manager or, or if you're responsible for this associate's performance, even though they're already at 92%, you have clear action that you can take as far as coaching the user. You can potentially look at their pick pathing. They may not be taking an optimal pick path. There's, there's things you can do here, and uh, this level of detail in the data is going to help shed light on that. So the bottom line is that really with, with an engineered standards, you're able to build uh, really high quality performance reporting. Um, you, can, you can look at your indirect versus indirect to, to get utilization scores. Um, and, and there's a lot more that you can do with this data. So if we look at our, our second piece, resource planning. Um, and again, we're building resource planning on top of performance management. It's because uh, the goal here is to essentially answer the question of how we put the right people in the right place at the right time. And in order to do that, we're actually leveraging our data from, from performance measurement. Uh, so we know who the best users are. We know who's qualified in different areas of the warehouse. Uh, and we use that to anticipate how we can fulfill the demand that's needed within the building. Um, as far as automating this process, it, it, there's no reason to have people um, spending all day. I've talked to, to some of our clients who have 
people whose full-time job is essentially to work within uh, Excel and build out these, these resource plans and, and how they're going to staff their, their people appropriately and how to forecast the demand that they expect to get to the building. Uh, and ultimately, we want to move away from that and let software uh, look into the data and, and help us make the right choices. So another slide here where there's a lot going on uh, where it might be a good idea to take a picture, but essentially we're, we're receiving input from multiple other systems. And uh, one big thing with, with labor, management, labor management systems in general is that it requires a high level of system transparency in order to operate um, at its peak. So this, this means we're happy to have data from order management systems, we're happy to have data from WMS, WCS, uh, and utilize that to, to make the best planning possible. Um, so we're going to focus on these three boxes in the middle where, one, we're forecasting the demand for the site. Two, we're looking to plan our people and, and where they should be. And then finally, uh, we're looking at a live system and, and continually looking to improve um, or, or make changes where necessary if we run into roadblocks or, or bottlenecks uh, as the day progresses. So with forecasting, we're looking to answer how much throughput do we need to plan for. Um, certainly an LM system or a WMS can have some sort of idea on, on the throughput to expect of the building. It, it can make forecasting uh, based off previous year's data or, or based on the existing backlog. Uh, but we also need help from, from the business itself. So we would expect information on sales and promotions, all these nuances uh, that will go into the, the eventual daily throughput should be fed into the system and then the system can take this and, and on a warehouse level look at how is this going to be fulfilled. Um, does the current order profile have a high amount of replenishment moves? Um, are we doing a lot of picking on the second level of the pick module or the first level? All, all of that, knowing that in advance allows us uh, to put our people in the right place. So we have a forecast of, of what's needed. We, we have our resource pool. Uh, and we want to begin distributing them appropriately. So the first thing is, is we split them up into, the, into whatever shifts that you have in your operation. Uh, there's levers you can pull here to ensure certain people uh, are, are locked into a given shift or certain people are locked into a certain job function. Uh, but then at the shift level, we want to know where should they be. Uh, and we know our forecast, we have our demand, uh, and we can split them amongst the different buckets within the warehouse. And then at a detailed level, we want to get an understanding, this doesn't need to be start or mid-shift to end, but hour to hour, essentially, if there's SLAs that require us to make adjustments, we want to know what those are uh, so that throughout the day we're able to move people as necessary in order to meet our demand and, and uh, requirements, uh, the guarantee to our customer. And finally, so all, all the first two steps were done in advance and then uh, as we're going throughout the day, we're looking to proactively uh, make adjustments when we see a bottleneck coming. So instead of being reactive in that all of a sudden you're slammed at pack out, uh, you want to be able to move people if necessary well beforehand so that you never actually have to, to run into that wall. Um, so the goal is to, is to maintain a system balance at all times. Uh, and, and sometimes that means the redistribution of people. And when we do redistribute those people, uh, if you need an additional 100 picks per hour coming out of your, your picking module, uh, then we look to, to make the right people, to get the right people to fulfill that demand. Uh, and so this is essentially done with prescriptive analytics where the system is looking uh, at the 
previous performance and, and what the need is and what the requirements are. If you need all, all your outbound packages on the truck by four, it, it understands all of this, puts it all together and, and makes a recommendation to you uh, on, on where and how many people you should move. Um, of course, it's optional to do that, but, but it's, it's just a recommendation. Lastly, I, I don't want to forget about automation here. So uh, resource management is, is staffing your people appropriately, but it's also looking at uh, automation. So in this example, we have the, these yellow bars are um, essentially an ASRS. So it, an ASRS that's bringing uh, product to these five goods to person stations. And our, our product is basically chaotically distributed across the warehouse. Uh, and we're trying to answer the question of how many pick stations do I need to operate? And, and which pick stations do I operate in order to, to get our picks out most efficiently? Um, so what we're doing is we're looking ahead into the system. Uh, we're seeing what SKUs that we're going to need to get. We know how many we need to get. Uh, so we can imagine in this example, this is a shift's worth, worth of work that we're looking into. Uh, and then, then we're looking at where this product's actually located. So when we dissolve all the rest of the noise, what's left? Uh, and then it becomes sort of clear, hey, we want stations two and five in order to make all of our picks and, and meet all of our demands uh, by the end of the day. And it, Scott, if you could hit play here. So when this all comes together now, we have a, a mock material flow here. Uh, where we have goods coming in, it's being stored in a reserve in an active pick location, and that product's moving throughout the outbound process to get out the door. Um, in, our, in the upper right-hand side, we're looking at the ever-changing demand and, and landscape of the system and, and making adjustments where necessary. So, uh, you know, right now you see the inbound is being worked on, although it's, it's kind of low. Um, as that nears zero, then we can start to begin to shift people because uh, we, we realize a lag in our outbound volume of, of getting all of the units out on time. I'll just let this play through. This is a 24-hour like time lapse, essentially. So finally, we, we, have our, we have our performance being recorded. We're using it to make high-quality decisions. Uh, and then finally, now we want to implement resource or implement. I'm sorry, incentive payments. Um, this is really kind of the cherry on top. It's, it's a huge motivator. It's it's going to provide a lot of uh, buy-in for your your associates. It's a win-win situation in that as a as a provider or or as a warehouse operator, uh, you're running you're running a facility at. 20, 30% increased efficiency. When a user is performing above and beyond, uh, ultimately it means that you're saving some sort of money here. Uh, and the idea is to pass some of those savings onto your, actual, onto your people uh, in hopes that it continues to motivate them to, to achieve even higher numbers. Um, it, it's extremely effective and it, it's going to solve our, a little bit of our problem uh, of employee retention. I can tell you firsthand that I've spoken with I've seen a lot of systems. I've spoken with a lot of retailers. And uh, this, this is really a key differentiator in that not a lot of people have implemented this yet. Uh, I know there's some, some concerns and, uh, about some potential issues with incentive payments, which, and I'll get into that in a minute. But uh, in general, it, it'll really make, make you out to be a, a key differentiator um, in a very competitive and clustered DC and FC uh, areas. 
just a, a, a few things to consider here. Again, uh, it's, it's pretty important that you have quality standards in place. Uh, if, if you begin paying out money to people uh, w without this, then you could find yourself actually losing money by, because you're paying people who you think are performing really well, uh, but in reality, it's, it's not actually saving your business any money. Um, uh, another point on system transparency is that you know, the LMS system, it can be responsible for, for paying out these standards, uh, but it could just as well pass this data on to, to an ERP system or some other external system that actually handles um, the incentives themselves. And, and finally, incentives don't necessarily need to be financial. You can see you pay out some extra money per pick once they're above 100%. There's a lot of different ways to do it financially, but you can also uh, distribute a PTO, uh, parking spaces. It's, there's other ways to go about it that can be clever um, if financial is not the way to go, although financial tends to have the best, best results for, for kind of obvious reasons. So th there are some criticisms to, to implementing this. I just kind of want to go through a couple of them that I hear really often. And one is that, uh, you know, if we implement incentive payments, all of the work that, that provides those bonuses, those are going to be focused on uh, by the associates and, and things like cleaning their workstation or other indirect tasks will just sort of go by the wayside. Um, because we're tracking all of these different actions, uh, the system should be able to, to have triggers or, or levers in it that you can pull to essentially uh, make certain indirect work mandatory uh, or a certain threshold has to be released before they become eligible. So there's, there's definitely ways to, to work around that. Uh, it is a valid call out. Another is that we're going to encourage rushing. Um, now the user is working very fast, but they're also very inaccurate. Um, and, and again, the, I, I go back to system transparency with, with your WMS and with your WCS. Um, if, if at Packout, for instance, you're getting a lot of extra items, a lot of incorrect items, um, then this can be traced back to the original picker and, and they can be discredited for the pick itself. So uh, with that tight coupling with the WMS or a WCS system, you're able to get all the information fed back up uh, and, and also essentially audit the user for, for quality. So finally, just to go over where we could be in the future as far as uh, some innovation that's potentially coming, uh, there's three things that I wanted to talk about. One is, is machine learning and AI. Uh, I think any data-driven system uh, is going to be incorporating AI and machine learning extremely quickly. Uh, we, we talked about resource planning and, and how we use prescriptive analytics to make a suggestion as to where to move people. In the future, I see us changing this a little bit and, and essentially giving feedback as to whether or not this was uh, a good suggestion. And, and in the case that it is, the system is able to take this and learn and adapt uh, and make better decisions in the future. If it's, if it's not a good recommendation, then it learns off that as well. So I, I really think that we're going to see a lot coming down. I mean, what's great is that with engineered standards, you're, you're creating raw and, and basic data that's, that's extremely vast. And um, even if, if you want to extract that data for your, your company's own uh, research, there's, there's a lot you can do um, with this amount of data, and it's already primed to have machine learning and, and AI built on top of it. The second is gamification. I, I think there's a few companies that have sort of toured with the idea. It hasn't really taken off too much yet, um, but I know that 
that the younger generation, I guess my generation, um, is very, it's very appealing to sort of, can you level up? Do you have achievements that you can unlock? Is there a high scores for performance? This is definitely something in a labor management system uh, that I think can be incorporated and will provide a lot of value. Lastly is employee engagement. Uh, employee engagement is, is a much bigger topic than, than just LM. Uh, I think a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how they improve their employee engagement. Um, gamification is part of that. Incentive payments is part of that. Uh, but I also see incorporating social media, uh, blasting messages to the workstations, uh, encouraging messages, moving to mobile. Uh, the users all have mobile phones. Are they able to use this to do their work? Are they able to pick up uh, shifts from their phone? All this is stuff that I think down the line we want to see incorporated uh, into these types of systems in the future. So. Finally, we're seeing 30 to 50% of operating costs are spent through labor uh, and, and spending that money on labor to get the units out the door. So new solutions need to be created here as a result. I definitely think software is, is a great one. And the great thing about software uh, is that even though the complexity and the scale of your warehouse may grow, um, the, the price of software doesn't need to scale in the same way. It's not, it's not physical, right? So you're able to get a really quick ROI, especially the more complex and the larger your facility is. And, and finally, we just we want to get managers out on the floor. We, we, I think they're spending way too much time uh, trying to organize and plan. And ultimately, they're going to be much more effective when they're able to be hands-on uh, overseeing the day-to-day -day operation. So that's, that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, are there any questions? OK, well, I'll be at. Boots 60 at 11. I'll also hang out here for a few more minutes as well. Uh, we, we were the last one of the day. If, if you guys have any, want to talk one on one or anything like that. So, thank you. <laughs>